The podcast you're about to listen to is part of the Professional Casual Network. To find more podcasts like this, please check out professionalcasual.com. The Professional Casual Network has gear. Check out teespring.com slash store slash professional casual for fresh new swag. Also, every month we're going to be giving away any one item to a Patreon backer at the $5 tier or above. Check out patreon.com slash professional casual for more information. Also, a special thanks to Built Bar for sponsoring the show. To get 10% off your order and to help support the show, use code PROFESSIONALCASUAL at checkout or use the link in the show notes. Welcome back to The Space Between on the Professional Casual Network. I am your host, Tim, S&P 500 France, and with me, as always, in life, love, and the pursuit of happiness, he is the GM of the Grim Podcast of Perilous Adventure, author of Lanny Girl Without Fear, and the host of Big Fishkin Energy, <laughs> my co-host, Dan Russell 2000 Cole. Woohoo! Also with us, a special guest who has a special plate in, in my heart. Some might say that I am his comrade, his cohort, and his co-conspirator. He is the titular host of Elite Eight Showdown. You've seen him on The Space Between it Presents as well, and you'll soon see him on one of the Pathfinder 2 one-shots. It's the glizzy gladiator himself, Big Fucking Chuck. Thank you for having me. Also, Dan, know your fucking place, okay? What? Yeah, you'll know. You'll know. What? You'll know. <laughs> Last, our friend and hopefully yours too, one of the hosts of the Carton cast on FancyBat.com, it's Ben 10 Relaford. Thank you. Uh, I actually go by the cuck fluffer now. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been meaning to change it on my business cards. Um, ben, on a scale of one to ten, uh, how likely are you to have an out of context moment from the comics this week? Tim, about a 13. All or right. today's Ooh. out of context moment from the comic books, we have Huey's childhood consisted of a Scooby Doo heist a friend whose B.O. is so bad that he had to constantly wear a gas mask, and a 15-foot-long tapeworm that stared him down from a toilet. Fun fact, it wasn't his tapeworm. He so, just up and encountered one. I have a couple questions. First. Yes? Huey had to wear the gas mask, or the friend with the B.O. had to wear the gas mask? The, the, friend, the friend with the B.O. had to. Also, so at least he was aware of it. Yeah, or I mean, like, yeah, like, so what bad. kind of monster would have something about them that they didn't want to share with other people and then refuse to wear a mask? Yeah. <laughs> That's some heinous <laughs> shit. Thoughts? That's a sweet pivot. That is a super terrorist uh, yeah. style action, honestly. Was the... <laughs> I didn't mean, to, didn't mean to align myself with the super terrorist. <laughs> Was the overpowering B.O. his superpower? No, no, he's just a greasy motherfucker. <laughs> so, Chuck pointed out to us earlier. Yeah, um, that's right. That uh, this was the first episode where we had a nudity parental advisory. Yeah, uh, so I fired this bad boy up. It was about, it was early in the morning yeah. on a Friday. Uh, knowing that I was going to do the show, I was very excited. Sat down, ready to take some notes. Uh, and up comes the parental advisory. You know, this is uh, TVMA. And it popped up nudity. 
So I went back and made sure that we have not had any nudity pop up before. <laughs> you fact-checked it? Yeah, I fact-checked it. Just to make absolutely sure. So I restarted every episode from season one, episode one, all the way through. Uh-huh. This is the first time wow. we have had nudity pop up. Needless to say, I got excited. Time. I got super fucking excited. All right. Um, because <laughs> that's a little telling because in the graphic novels, nudity is a near constant feature because depravity, like sexual depravity in the seven and in Vought in general is sort of is sort of a, a fundamental touchstone for uh, Garth Ennis's work. Yeah, well, and like the other weird thing is, is like the episode uh, episode six where we have the 15 long folk prehensile uh, dick. Yeah. No. There was no mark of nudity. <laughs> I guess. Really? Yeah. Which I thought was super fucking weird, right? So whatever is, is going to be naked in this. It's a little this, biased. It's a little, you know. Is, yeah. is going to be extreme. That's kind of ableist, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, to be fair, in that episode, I didn't realize it was his dick until it retracted back up into his pants. Same. Yeah. Same. So I think they did a good enough job pretending it was just a tentacle. Mm-hmm. And then alluding to the idea that it was probably his dick. And uncut. Um, that's true. Yes. yes. Um, unlike this episode, as a connoisseur of hentai, I thought so immediately. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a joke you can laugh. It's okay. <laughs> so, episode seven was called The Butcher, the Baker, the Candlestick Maker. And we open this episode with a montage of shorts of kind of a real to life incel experience. A single male living with his mom, slowly being corrupted by memes and news of an analog to the alt right. While the tune of What a Wonderful World, uh, a cover of it at least, builds in the background. Um, what did everyone think of this scene? I, I feel it was really well done yeah. for what it was intending to be. Yeah, it's it's um, so this is a this is well like articulated. The degree to which Vought kind of controls the media space mm-hmm. is that, you know, you can't really get away from it. Um, and it is very easy in, you know, in, it's a direct line to our life where if you have a viewpoint you will find an echo chamber for it mm-hmm. um it's readily available because there's there's no like there's no need for this this incel to interact beyond his immediate surroundings and like you you do get kind of like the doldrums of uh being stuck in a in a society wherein you are undervalued kind of pressing you down i don't know how much that's related to devote or whether they just wanted to see a white supremacist kind of hanging out in the show but it's it's a little chilling yeah yeah, it really was. Um, <clears throat> and Dan, you thought you saw J.K. Simmons somewhere in that? I thought I heard him. So I, oh, I've been okay. watching it um, on a Saturday morning. I get up early with the younger kid. and I watch it on my Kindle, but pretty quietly with subtitles on because he's watching a show right there. And I thought I heard J.K. Simmons as one of the news announcers, like as the guy was waking up and heard something. And it sounded like J.K. Simmons as... Um, J. Jonah Jameson. And I thought that would be just, it just, it just seemed like something that they would do on this show, just as like, not actually as J.K., as J. Jonah Jameson, of course, but right. like to have him do it as the news announcer that's very boisterous. But I wasn't sure if it was him. I love J.K. Simmons in that specific role. I love him um, in like every role, but uh, yeah, that, yeah, he's fantastic. Every once in a while, they knock it out of the park with a casting, and him as J. Jonah Jameson is like, oh my gosh, like yeah. him and like, uh, Robert Downey Jr. as as Iron Man, as Iron Man. right? It's like, like you couldn't do better. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I um, I just again, I love how tied to our current moment the show is. Like mm-hmm. having that 
person who is so clearly part of the alt-right being radicalized by a news media that is targeting him specifically. And what does he do? He goes and kills a foreigner. Like, you know, there's a skin over it. Well, like, well, you know, he wasn't a foreigner. He was a super terrorist. It's the fucking same thing. It's the same thing. Totally. They're just looking at it through a a hypothetical lens instead of our real world lens. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, but the kid gloves are are not yeah they're not wearing kid gloves for this. It's a very clear line that they're connecting. Right, with. very much so. Thinly veiled, mm-hmm. if at all. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah, barely veiled. Victoria Newman, Mallory Butcher, and the gang are are going over Lamplighter's story and how they're going to use it. Um. In their hearing against Vaught, it seems like they might have two ex soups as witnesses. Uh, most likely, Starlight and Lamplighter. Things seem like they actually kind of might be taking off against Vaught here. I guess we are kind of towards the end of the season a little bit, but kind of seems like things yeah. are coming together. Well, this lends the boys this lends the boys a lot of legitimacy that they previously didn't have. Like they've been on the they've been persona non grata, kind of on the run, um, you know, kind of wanted men for most of the season. So to see them kind of getting in bed with the congresswoman and and trying to um kind of bring the case to Vought like it I like that they're kind of crawling out of that hole that they've been hiding in in so to speak yeah um I I feel like that's gonna that really levels the playing field so what do you think about Lamplighter here it seems like he's I mean he's certainly going along but he also does not seem super interested in what the results are going to be um has he given up on on this working is he just complying to comply or is he just kind of waiting this out, taking an opportunity while he has it until he can get away. He's still outnumbered. Like I, the, the whole idea that he was just playing along last time because he was outnumbered. I think that is still true. The redemption seeker thing rings hollow to me. I think he's just biding his time. Yeah. That's kind of the feeling I'm getting here too. I, I had the same kind of the same theory, but I also, and it he kind of later confirms it in a later scene, but I think he realizes that it's a, it's an Owen situation for him. Yeah. He's just, no matter what he does, he can testify. He's going to get fucking murked. If he doesn't testify, he's going to get fucking murked because of everything that went down. Um, I, I don't think Stormfront believed him at that time. Oh, really? At at the Sage Grove? Yeah. I, I was really under the impression that she was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like until I get the security camera and we, and everything's fucking wrong. And, oh yeah. Um, that was, uh, I don't know if he was thinking that's what I assumed he was thinking. He was mm-hmm. like, it's only a matter of time. It's not if I'm going to die, it's when I'm going to die and who and who's it going to be. Right. Yeah. Same. Yep. Um, we jump over to a scene in a coffee shop. Uh, Starlight is meeting her mom, Donna, for coffee um, before being told uh, by her mom. That. Were we waiting for? You were looking at something. Sorry. No, I was trying to remember the name of the coffee, please. Oh, gotcha. Uh, Jitter beans. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Oh, which is the, oh, the brand in the name. comics, right? I believe. Yeah. Um, so Donna it must ha- be an indie coffee shop because it's it's not it's, it must be independent because it's not a Vought property, which like oh. is surprising every time you see something that isn't a Vought property. Yeah, for real. Does like it-, it should be like. The, the a train, you know, hype station or something, something crazy like that. <laughs> So apparently Donna had called up Vought um, and let them know that she was going to meet Starlight at this coffee shop. And um, surprise, 
uh, Vought shows up because Starlight's on the run and they can't track her down. Uh, Black Noir and a mini SWAT team gas canister at the, the coffee shop take out all the civilians. And then Noir really just kind of beats the shit out of Starlight with one of those uh, metal menu stands. I love it when he just gets so intense. Yeah. Like, he's not hiding very badly on top of a roof. He's kicking ass. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> sometimes I forget this guy can actually do stuff. Oh, right. <laughs> I love how true to form Donna. Yeah, no, he's he's their wet works guy. Like, Vought has... He, Vought uses him when things are in a bad spot and they need some level of plausible deniability. Um, and they just need something to get done quick and fast and relatively cleanly. So it makes sense that he'd be the one that they send. For sure. I love how true to form Donna is as an out-of-touch mother trying to reconnect with her child here. Between staying at the Days Inn and just not letting her know uh, that she had continued to been there in almost like this little guilt trip way of like, well, I never left. I've been staying at the Days Inn just waiting to reconnect with you. Like... <laughs> Um, even the, I called Ashley and cleared a little getaway for us. Like just not understanding yeah. the situation that she's in and trying to do something nice, but it doesn't even seem like she's generally trying to do something nice. She's trying to bridge that gap so mm -hmm. she can not be the bad guy anymore and then right. move on. She's trying mm -hmm. to, she's trying to clear her own conscience. Yes. 100%. 100%. As, as someone who in real life has a parent that's like this, um, like even the best intentions that they have. It's like you're no, you're literally just making my life fucking harder. Mm -hmm. Stop. Like, we will talk about this at a different time. Stop trying to make it right. better than it than it's manipulative. Right. And you're just and then you're going to make me feel guilty when I have to tell you, no, that's not that's not right. Right. Everyone she, loses. she definitely does kind of remind me of a bygone era wherein being sorry was good enough. Um, and I don't think that like Starlight or her generation really operates on that metric anymore. Um, no, yeah, she's, she's pretty middle America, you know, kind of rational, conservative kind of through and through, um, given that she trusts Vought not to fucking track her daughter down. Um, yeah, that's I also think it's a good um, starlight moment, too, because she kind of comes out as an atheist and kind of a nihilist to her mom, like nothing matters. You're wrong about everything. Hero doesn't mean what you think it does. Kind of willing to break her heart over the issue. But the only reason she's bringing it up is because she actually does want to. I think that she's only bringing it up so that they can work through some of this. If she didn't care, she would have just like center packing and not tried to talk any of what she was going throughout. So, right. Yeah, very much so. I don't know. I, th I think they're going to somewhere a little bit more, uh, a little bit more convivial. Um, when we leave this scene, we jump back over to, I assume it's Mallory's house um, in the woods there where, where her and Victoria Newman and everyone have met. Victoria Newman takes off and Mallory kind of gives Frenchie the detail job, making sure, hey, you don't fuck off this time. Like, you need to follow her and you need to stay on her. A soup dropping down in, her detail's not going to have any chance against it. Is this foreshadowing I, another failure? I don't buy it. Like, I, I don't think that um, Mallory should be the one giving Frenchie the order because, like, even if, and I, th I, I think it, is like implied that Mallory got the scoop of why Frenchie ditched uh, security detail that night that her granddaughters got killed. Mm -hmm. He's still indirectly responsible for her granddaughters getting killed. And we've seen how vicious she is when that is brought up. I think it would have made more sense if she like delegated to butcher or, or MM and then they put Frenchie on it. Like the it, directly, I don't, it doesn't work for me. I think we'll see this a couple other times too, but Mallory seems really out of character almost throughout this entire episode. 
I, I will agree with you, but I think there's a reason why I think that she realizes, um, she's had her almost coming to Jesus moment at this point, And she realizes mm. it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when I'm going to get taken out. So I mm. almost need to clear my conscience of everything else. Mm. Um, but I agree. It almost seems forced by yeah. the writing. Um, I don't think that they necessarily did it. What I, I did find really interesting between that conversation uh, between Frenchie and Mallory, she uses his real name. Yeah. Which has far- never happened hmm. prior to this, except for when she was addressing butcher. So just in the flashbacks, she called him Serge. Did she in the Pretty flashback? Sure. Okay. Cause I was thought they were only using code names at that point, but we definitely heard his name before this scene. Okay, so I don't, I, I don't remember. I don't remember. It Maybe it was uh, Sherry who called him Serge in the mm. flashbacks. Right, but up to this point, from that flashback to this point, they've only been using code names. It's always yep. Butcher. It's always you know uh, Frenchy. It almost like she is trying to make him understand, like, look, this. I'm not necessarily forgiving you, but this is important, and if you can do this, maybe our relationship can kind of start amending almost that motherly, um, you know, first name of seriousness. Like, no, you need to take this seriously. Like no Frenchie. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, no search. Like this is, this is serious. Don't fuck this up. The equivalent of whipping out the middle name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which I, I don't know if she necessarily sold that to me. Um, when I was watching it because yeah. she almost seemed sympathetic when she did it. And I was really hoping she'd have that sting that we've seen with her and butcher, um, which makes me almost think that she we- has a soft spot for Frenchie because butcher hasn't. I'm curious if now that she's realized that butcher hasn't lost Becca, like she lost her grandkids, right? Like maybe their dynamic has changed. She saw them initially at one point as kindred spirits. And that's why she brought them on. Mm-hmm. Um, and because he hasn't really suffered that loss in the way that she thought he had. Um, she's transferring mm-hmm. some of that uh, responsibility to other people. Cause maybe mm-hmm. with, especially within this group, she feels alone. Mm-hmm. Um, now that yeah. you know she had that connection with butcher that connection's kind of gone. Frenchie's the only one who actually has lost somebody. Now she doesn't know before. And now she does. Right. Yeah, she does. And she keeps mm. telling mother's milk. Like, look, you can get out, man. Like yeah. you got a family, you've got kids like stop doing this and putting yourself more at risk. And of course, you know, mother's milk being the guy that he is can't say no. Right. Your wife is only going to stick around so long before yeah. watching the rest of season one of outlander. Exactly. <laughs> You know, there's um there's a couple points in this episode where we see both Mother's Milk and Butcher suffering on account of this whole Vought business or because of their their backgrounds or anything like that. And as opposed to letting it go and kind of, you know, picking up their chips and leaving, they kind of hold this trauma close to them because it's sort of all they have or it's it's some connection to something important to them. Um, and I think Mallory just kind of has that 20,000 foot view of like, it's, it's, it's not worth it for you to be, for you to hold this, um, this pain close to you just as it's something to connect to. You're better off just leaving it alone. So maybe part of her coming across as warm is like, I'm the only one who should be eaten up by this struggle. All of the rest of you should be able to get out. Maybe she's trying to like 
make the sacrifice play. And we're kind of starting to see that that change in dynamic. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> as everyone starts to take off, Butcher tells Huey that he needs to stay behind because, you know, he's still not back at 100 percent yet. And even at 100 percent, Huey isn't always uh, reliable. So he tasks him with staying back with Lamplighter, uh, who wants to wish Deep does it in the blowhole. Um, when the Deep heard, by the way, that they were making that movie back in 2011, he wanted to play himself. Madeline Stilwell, his manager at the time, uh, convinced him not to. And I believe this is the only actual scene of nudity we get, which is just a big close up. Uh, no, we, of, get, we get one more. Oh, we have know, another one. We, well, we oh, get a couple we? more. Yeah, we get more porn, uh, like little little porn moments uh, later on. Yep. Let me just say oh, the seven right. porn parodies is an idea that I wish I had because it makes so much sense. Like <laughs> well, a corporation that's so saturated in the media, Vought would absolutely have like knockoff products or, or or other people would like produce like bootleg versions of it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is super smart because like that's what the porn industry has pretty much become. It's parodies of, uh, you know, blockbuster movies and like stepsister porn like that's all it is anymore the so. amount of, so it's a real concern in our country we should not be having dryers that are so easy to get stuck in absolutely i agree it's super dangerous it's super it's dangerous. a real problem so i mean if you get replacement windows sometimes those old store windows you get stuck in them too you yeah. just need to spend the money but they're expensive it's expensive yeah. to replace windows maybe if we we're buying um like american-made clothing that wasn't so ratty that it get caught on something so you can't get it loose unless you take it off completely yeah Maybe we wouldn't be having so many problems. So what is it with porn and utility companies like plumbers, carpenters? Now this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the delivery men uh, have never recovered. Uh, (laughs) Butcher gets a call from his mom uh, that tells him his father is dead and that she's in the States still and she wants to see him before we cut back over to Starlight being held in what seems like a low power, low light holding cell uh lamp lot what yeah lamp watcher lamp lighter watches home banger red white and anal a wildly successful cuckold video produced in 2015 it has more than 500 million downloads to date it sounds like you a know, lot their whole um their whole like i'm 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 not the guy fucking his wife i'm the cuck like conversation between him and huey that ensues is just like it's so silly in the context of everything else that's going out in the plot it felt like the real like moment of levity kind of centerpiece to this episode and i really appreciated it i did too i like (laughs) so ridiculous because they, they have those little moments where they make those little product placement things or those parodies in the background but the fact that they actually the characters are actually discussing it and it becomes almost a character development moment. Um, just fucking a plus. You yeah. could have had like some Hans Zimmer fanfare behind this or something. Right. Or John Williams. <laughs> so there's there's two. This is an emotional catharsis. <laughs> makes a good point. Uh, there are two kind of important things about this this section. Right. Uh, so the phone call that Butcher gets from mm-hmm. his mom. He has an almost happy tone. He's yeah. almost trying to hold back a smirk the mm-hmm. entire time he's on the phone. But he also knows that, like, maybe towards the end of that conversation when she's like, he's dead, he realizes, well, I never got to make my peace. I never got to tell him exactly how I felt, which I think is 
was interesting, but that whole idea that like he's kind of you see it on his face. He's almost trying to hold back a, a grin. Yeah, that he's yeah. getting this news finally. Um, and then about Homebanger, um, I there was something about this that just tickled me, and I don't know why. He has a blanket on his lap. As if the suit that he's wearing is the real suit, right? It almost looks identical, even like, which doesn't totally happen in porn parodies very often. So it's almost like they they gave him the prop suit, but they were like, if you get anything on this fucking suit, like, you're, you're dead. We're going to fucking <laughs> right. kill you. Like when porn, um, like when the filming crew go to like a site, like they'll rent, like they'll B and B a house, Airbnb a house for the day. And they have to put sheets down over the furnished stuff because if they ruin it, they don't want that, that cleaning charge. Yeah. I just love that idea that he had a blanket over top of his lap, just in case there was a fucking mess and they ruined that suit. Well, not just because of that, but like every time we see Homelander in his like business, like does he ever not wear his suit? We've seen like, well. That's that's. I don't think he can get it up without his suit on. It's probably. like that, that's the only boots, way it makes minimum. sense to him, right? So well, this wasn't. This was and the like, parody version. Actually, of him. have sex with a sheet between them so that God can't see their shame. That's just common knowledge. <laughs> that's actually one hundred percent. That's very true. I think the only time we've seen Homelander without a suit, it wasn't really Homelander. It was Doppelganger as Homelander. In, Doppeldonger, I believe, is how it's pronounced. Yeah, in like the the nighty thing. Like yeah. other than that, he's been in his suit one hundred percent of the time. <laughs> uh, that's... Mm-hmm. But I don't think he can yeah, just so connect maybe he's himself. Just method acting. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, he, he's just getting he is character. Homelander. He doesn't even have another name. That we ever heard. Yeah, no, he's just Homelander. Yep. Uh, I also think it's really important is uh, if that guy in the porn uh, homebanger wasn't wearing the suit, you would have had no fucking idea it was no. Homelander because it right. looked nothing like him. <laughs> right. Not even yeah. a little bit. Yep. <laughs> um, what do we think about the interactions between Huey and Lamplighter here? Lamplighter seems to kind of know his numbers up, and. Uh, He's planning something. He's planning to escape. He's planning to do something. Like there's, there's obviously something there. What's his fucking deal? Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. So I just, I just, it just sounded just nihilism is all it was. Like it's like it's over. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna, you know, kind of go through the motions until somebody gets it may, me. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe it's just because he's being paired with Huey, but I can't help but see a single person that is not like starlight paired with Huey in a way that isn't trying to exploit him. Like it, it just, True. the interaction to me felt like lamplighter was setting the stage to kind of be able to make a break for it. He's like wearing him down, testing his patience with this porn stuff. He's trying to get Huey unnerved. He's maybe like trying to talk to him as something of an equal with the cuck fuck cuck fluffer kind of conversation <laughs> it still felt to me like he was he was planning a break yeah absolutely or like he was gonna try to like get back with Vought for protection or something that's kind of uh, the feeling i was getting that he was going to like flip sides and just effectively try to get back to safety and maybe that would be his end same same feeling i had with deep that, uh, yeah. and in that mave interaction yeah. that they had where he was just gonna be like hey these guys are gonna be dicks you you can let me back in now I, I I agree. I felt that. But I also felt just the fact that like misery loves company. Lamplighter is so just fucking miserable yeah. mm. and he's pissed off and he's not happy 
not just in life, but the, you know, the whole situation, the fact that he's here, the fact that he knows his number's up. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, because mm-hmm. at any point a soup can just show up and blow his brains out or, you know, whatever, um, that he's just like, I'm going to make everybody else fucking miserable. This, I see so much of myself <laughs> in Huey tracks. that I'm just going to make him feel the same fucking way I feel. Mm. Um, they, they end up watching, uh, a- with, with regard to, yeah, With regard it. to the porno, just so I don't have to mention it later, uh, in a little bit, one of the pornos they watch is a shout out to uh, the comics, wherein Jack from Jupiter, which is one of the main seven in the comics, is is kind of on all fours with a bunch of with a bukake around him <laughs> saying, I want all of the I want all the cocks or, or something like that. Um, it's be, he's basically in the exact same pose as he is in the comic books. So because you don't forget that kind of thing, like, no, the whole the tapestry that like I could get a wall scroll of that exact scene. It was at that point I was like, Oh, so like, we're just going to get naked, butt. that's weird that they flag that for nudity. And then we got that scene. And I went, Oh, I forgot about the six to seven dicks. Yeah. yeah. I was like, Oh, okay. No, I get why we got flagged for nudity now. You know what? And Bravo. Cause rarely do we get full frontal male nudity and stuff anymore. Yeah. So I was, I was genuinely, you know, golf clapped. I was like, all right, good, good for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how about the scene we jumped to um, where Stormfront and Homelander are, are rallying um, in a similar scene that we've seen Victoria Newman do. And it always seems like it's in front of the same building. I assume it's the vault building. Um, and they call for more soups, more Compound V and Homelander even outs Star- or Starlight as the killer of Translucent and the mole of the organization. Is Lamplighter a segue to get Huey into Vought? Or is he actually going somewhere? No idea. I I only got three words for this scene: thoughts and prayers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was so great. Because they, they 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 like call attention to like, no, we don't contone the white supremacist who is totally following our orders. Um, we give thoughts and prayers to the uh, the family of the clerk that he shot. Well, they they had like a doesn't found, excuse the super terrorists. They had a foundation, or they were like raising money for him, or something too. Like it was just like, oh, don't worry, all the proceeds from whatever is going to go to this dude, right to um, his family. Yeah. So it actually yeah goes to the NRA, obviously. Right. Whatever. <laughs> right. I actually was it to his family, or was it to an organization that was built to the idea of that it was going to go to the family? Oh, was it to like a foundation? I think it was for a foundation. Yeah, which was like <laughs> going to a super in his pack. like in his memory kind of kind of thing. Oh, I, maybe that's I, what it was. Yeah, yeah, because I remember watching and thinking that fucking sounds right. Like that sounds like bullshit. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Like, exactly what would happen now. Yeah. Um. So Butcher gets over to his mom's place or where she's staying, and guess what? She was lying about his dad being dead, and she did it to get Butcher there to see his dad one more time before he really does go. Uh, they have a very intense interaction and guess what they're pretty much the same fucking person <laughs> totally it's it's so fun hearing both of them do the accent it sounds <laughs> like that scene in gold member when austin powers and michael kane are <laughs> jabbering back and forth to each other in the incomprehensible english accent oh it's so good uh yeah the the whole time he was looking at him as soon as the dad stood up i was like he's gonna throw him over that railing yeah Butcher is. I, yeah oh, he's i thought going. so too 
over that, and he's gonna splat on the road below, and we're just gonna end that scene with Butcher with this ridiculous smile on his face. Yeah. And then, like, when he actually lunged at him, I was like, oh, here it comes! And then he didn't do yeah. that. I love how they dyed nah, that he old just, dude's... he just roughs him up a bit. I love how they dyed that old dude's um, hair to look just like him, too. Like, yeah. they, they made the aesthetic mm-hmm. pretty spot on. Just gave him a short leather coat instead of a long leather coat. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's some decent like uh characterization here. Um just just to give a little bit of context with the with the comics, uh by the time we meet Butcher's dad, Butcher's dad is already dead in the comics and the whole the whole issue which is actually called Butcher Baker Candlestick Maker is is an effort to give him uh, a backstory. So they do like a big flashback to describe how big of a piece of shit the dad was. Um, and through the conversation that in fall that follows, we hear that um, he beat both of them, uh, both uh, Butcher, uh, both Billy and also his brother, Lenny, who is dead. And he's dead because he committed suicide, probably in no small part because of the physical abuse he suffered at the hands of his dad. Like the dad's a piece of shit. Um, and, you know, he uses the classic abuser, like child abuse kind of, oh, I was doing it to toughen you up. I didn't want the world to get you. Yeah. You know, kind of bullshit answer that they always give. Mm. Um, but that is that's relevant for kind of later characterization. So, well, it, it works here. And we do find that out. At least they kept that true to the comics where Butcher's dad at one point makes a reference to Lenny putting the own gun in his mouth. Yep. And so because I don't think we knew that, at least in the series. I was going to say, is this when oh, we no. learned that Lenny I was saying himself. that happens here. In the comics, Lenny gets hit by a bus. Oh, that's right. <laughs> okay, I, gotcha. Yeah. Which, I, which I think is, I think this is a bit better in he terms of tying it all together. put that in his mouth. <laughs> and there's, there's two very important things to walk away from this scene. Yeah. One, um, he loves Butcher because Butcher didn't kill himself. He treated them both the same, and Butcher's fucking harder than Lenny was because Lenny had to, you know, couldn't fucking take it anymore and put a bullet in his brain mm-hmm. two it's butcher's fault because butcher didn't fucking stop him it's not his dad's fault fuck him that was and that fuck was him. the biggest takeaway that i was like he really fuck he will not take blame for it yeah it's nice. because fuck of up. butcher it's butcher's fault that he didn't take the gun out of his hand which was i'm glad they make him unredeemable like yeah. I, I don't want him to get a free pass no like comics. i He's, wanted at that point yeah. i wanted him to go over the railing like i was fucking done i'm <laughs> yeah. pretty okay with that yeah. Yeah. i'm sure it's just a matter of time um, so back at the rally, Stormfront tells Homelander that Starlight is better to rally her base alive than dead. Um, and she wistfully mm-hmm. looks at this baby in a crowd before Homelander <sighs> takes her to bring or takes her to see Ryan. My first thought was, yeah. So, like, I guess the idea here baby. is that Stormfront has a soul. I don't know if I like that. <laughs> right. Do we want Stormfront <laughs> to be humanized at all? See, Oh. Are we kind of done with that? So this is where my whole conspiracy theory-ness came in. I don't think she does. I think she only is feeding off the vibes of Homelander. For sure. Because Homelander oh. wants that family oh, like shit. nuclear egg, right? She knows this. She yep. knows that more than likely the only person who's going to stop her is Homelander. So she needs to make sure that she is as secured as possible within Homelander's uh you know, life and this whole idea. Cause remember she left in season or in episode six, she left. He got jealous because he didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah. He's being kept out. And so that level of like, uh, like mistrust was starting to form there. So if she can convince him like, oh, I just, I just really wish I had a kid. Well, and, and, and if I could yeah. just find somebody like you to have this kid with, because I've had one already. Yeah. 
you know, because anything, there's no, the only way you fix a, uh, a horrible toxic relationship is to have a kid. Yep, so, 100%. yeah, like, yeah, I, I textbook, really total bullshit. Absolute total bullshit. I did not believe that she had a soul at all. That's a great point. I, I like, like that, that explanation better, actually, Chuck. Like That's that. a yep. really good point. Not so much that she wants it, but she knows Homelander wants it. So she's, yep. Who knows? Like, she's just reflecting she would his have own, kid. you know, his own very obvious needs back to him. Yep. Right. So when he when he brings her to meet uh, Ryan, um, they kind of get this like, oh, fuck, this guy's back. And he brought someone else with him. And yeah, I clench up every time that happens. We, we get that. That scene that uh, and uh, um, the extension of the scenes that we talked about before, like the abusive bad now bring his, um, you know, girlfriend mm-hmm. home to meet his son or whatever. Um, and I guess I never picked up on this before. She makes a really clear point of being like, you're the first natural born superhero. Um, yeah, I never thought about that before. So I hadn't put two and two together there, but to Chuck's point earlier, yeah, she was playing him to get access to that kid. I mean, that's a, that's a huge fucking deal. Mm-hmm. I haven't oh, thought yeah. about that at that's all. That's a good point. And, uh, you know, Conspira- conspiracy hat. Like I'm gonna put my my tinfoil hat on. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even think he's the first natural born superhero, like Soup. I think that Ryan is a product of Butcher and Becca. But mm. go with me on this. You ready for this one? Okay. okay. So Homelander did rape her. She did get pregnant with Butcher's baby, not his. They injected it with uh, compound V as a way to keep them from making whatever it was at that time that Homelander was going to do or something. Maybe he was going to leave. Maybe he was, you know, maybe he was fed up. Maybe he was going, he was going to kill them. Who knows? So Vaught themselves with this genius idea was like, no, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't whatever you gave birth to the first superhero baby, which is even just fucking Vaught pulling the strings behind the goddamn curtain and just telling him this to keep him happy. I mm. I don't think he is. I think it's all a ploy by Vaught to keep Homelander happy. I like that. That's that, Yeah, uh, the only thing it fails on is Occam's Razor, which is just it's easier if it's Homelander's kid, but like there's there's no reason it couldn't be Vaught being shitty. Like there's always a reason to suspect that Vaught was just being shitty. Um, I guess the question there is like, why would they want to have the appearance of a superhero baby? Like, does Vought care at all that Becca and Ryan are alive and well in absence of their relationship to Homelander? Like, if Homelander just thought that Ryan was Butcher's kid because he was and, like, just wanted to erase the uh, stains of his misdeeds, um, I don't think Vought would have a problem with that. Uh, true. Yeah. Absolutely. I think what maybe and again, this is me just guessing here. That no, it's a pretty good guess. Uh, but my assumption would be they inject. So butcher Becca, they get pregnant. They have a kid. Vaught comes in, injects it with compound V to make it a superhero to to trick um, Homelander. Maybe Becca knows all this, and she has is now sitting on. What the kid's like nine now? Yeah. So nine years ago, sitting on the guess what? Superheroes are fucking made. They're not born. 
And she's been sitting on that information, but she knows if she releases it, she's dead. Yeah. So she, she is essentially just starlight nine years ago and has been holding this in ever since. And she knows that if that information gets out, then she's dead. Ryan's could potentially be dead. Butcher's could, you know, dead. Anybody who associated them would be would be dead. So she held on to it because collateral damage. It's better for me to keep this a secret than it is for me to release it. All right. She must have something over Vought. Like, there's no reason that Vought wouldn't have just nobodied her by this point, right? I I feel it's one or I feel it's one extreme or the other. Either she has something on Vought or Vought is just literally using her as a condition to keep Homelander in line. Mm. I could see it very easily either way. Uh, but if she had I, either something way, on... this is a terrifying scene because yeah, for sure, like we just want Becca to be left alone. I don't like Homelander being around her at all. It's like Ugh, mm-hmm. creepy. I don't know, like being confronted on a regular basis by your rapist who is trying to be a father figure to your son, whom like uh, it, just like There's that on its own there. is bad enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now he's just upping the stakes all the time. And there was a moment when they first arrive and they bring uh. Uh, Stormfront in where I thought they were trying to play up the fact that like Becca would have been jealous by this. Yeah. And she had that look on her face and I go, no way that I, cause I remember you guys, you know, complaining about that kind of idea of jealousy prior. And then I realized, no, she's putting the, she's doing the math. She's figuring mm-hmm. it out. Holy shit. Now this kid could have two superhero parents. I'm not needed anymore. Like, yeah, Ryan's going to become 100% a product of them. Mm-hmm. I'm dead. Oh fuck! Yeah, right. that's true. You know, it's like, like a horror movie. She has no power in this situation. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that later, that will get later. I think kind of confirmed that that was her th- her thinking. But at that point, I was like, no, they're not really going to make this a jealousy love thing. And then I realized, oh no, she's fucking figuring it out. Yeah, we're watching her put this all together. I think she put it together the second they came into the backyard. She was like, yeah. D- no, yep, shit. So we jump. I think over. she's been thinking about this from before they even showed back up. Like she has nothing but time to figure out how she's going to try to deal with Homelander. Like she could have figured she could have figured this out. She's pretty on the ball. Here's also my other my other kind of thing that I think is kind of interesting. They're ho- they're really honing in that Ryan is the first like born soup, mm-hmm. but technically Liberty had a kid, allegedly who was eighty years old. I. I'm starting to kind of see the holes that maybe Stormfront is not Liberty in some aspect. Maybe mm. she is the daughter of Liberty carrying on the traditions and beliefs that her mother had. And she's just hiding behind the fact that she is Liberty because they looked very similar. Yeah. So maybe she's just trying to play it up that like, no, I, I am Liberty. I'm still just kind of carrying on. You know, I'm not actually you know, that was maybe that was actually her. That was her grandmother, not her kid. Hmm. Because yeah. otherwise we haven't actually heard of superheroes procreating yet. Which is odd because if they've been around for almost 100 years. Right. You would expect. Yep. At some point. I almost think that point. maybe it would be a good plot point. And I don't know how this would shake out exactly. But what if Compound V also made you sterile? Mm. I would like, be surprised. How does that change? The that situation. Make a lot of sense. Yeah, because yeah. how did it take this long to finally have a net, like a firstborn super like super? Right. It doesn't make any sense. Which makes me think Ryan is not naturally born; that he was made. All right. So we jump that, over. It's a good good amount of conspiracies to to kind of put in the in the crock pot. Let's let them sizzle. <laughs> so we jump over to Elena and Maeve 
they kind of have a, a, a falling out a little bit or an argument about the uh, the plane. And it's it's a little odd at first because Elena is leaving to go stay with her sister, but she also understands Maeve's viewpoint a little bit, or at least says that she does and just needs time. She to says she doesn't blame it. her. Right. Right. Like, and that's what I, I really like that. Cause like so often in like kind of lesser dramas, you see them having a big fight and like blaming them for everything. And like, in reality, it, like every like separation doesn't have to be because of an actual fight where there's a lot of blame. Sometimes it's different priorities or just like irreconcilable differences, right? Elena can't handle the fact that she's with somebody who can have it in her to not save a child that she's able of saving. Like she just can't get past that part. It's not about blame. She was, she understands that Maeve was in a shitty situation. It's just like, I'm not, I'm not attacking you. I just can't be around this. Um, Which this, I think is more textured and mature. Is this a plot warming lamp like uh, the deep and a train have kind of been getting? Um, or is, is, <laughs> is this something else? No, I, I think Elena's out of the plot by this point. I think it's just to make Maeve depressed. Okay. Really? Something else I hope to she's out of the plot. I don't want her edge. to come back and get her head exploded. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I think this is trying to they're trying to make Maeve have nothing else to lose. Right. They're trying to make it. So when she inevitably tries to go up against Homelander, she's got the reasons for it. That's fair. I I don't think the comics. She is much more defeatist because she's kind of already gone through all of her personal pain by the start of the story. So maybe they're trying to get her to kind of go down the uh, desensitizing herself sort of path, which happens later when she starts sleeping with some some random guy in the same episode to kind of ease her pain. She's she's desensitizing from the from the heartbreak so uh mallory and mm meet up with jonah vogelbaum we know from season one was kind of like homelander's uh surrogate father kind of yeah Yeah, it's his his dad the the whole episode is about parental influence this is as close to a a dad as homelander has but he was actually like his handler right that was like kind of his thing for the most part but but from homelander's perspective yeah right as close as he got right yeah yes So Mallory tries to get him to join the witness stand. Um, but at this point, he has a family and he has family taking care of him. And he kind of calls out that if anyone should understand that he doesn't want to put himself or more specifically um, his family at risk, it's her. And she just kind of takes it and just like, yeah, you're right. And then tries to convince M.M. to leave and get out of there, too, because he has family, which is just kind of. I don't know, just seems like a very. Direct, quick character departure for her. Um, so Mallory gives him that chance to get out of there, and uh, they they kind of jump over to Frenchie and Kamiko, just chilling on a roof, watching people protest Victoria Newman baking cookies with her mom or something. <laughs> and uh, Kamiko teaches him how to say gun in her secret language. Um, once again, kind of to what I said, or what we talked about in the last episode, um, they're really hot or cold with Kamiko. She's either they, they don't give her any development to how she's processing uh, the death or the guilt of her brother. She's just kind of huggy and happy now. Yeah, um, she um, I mean, Frenchie did kind of lay off her in the last episode, started saying, like, I'm not going to keep trying to control you. You'll come to me when you're able to heal. Maybe she's responding to that. Yeah, that's. Very fair. Close um, enough. 
Yeah. So I got some super LDS vibes or Latter-day Saints vibes from the scene with A-Train in the deep talking to Alistair about what I assume was like a, it was at like a collective party or or it was alistair's birthday oh it was alistair's birthday very specifically it was his big birthday party gotcha so only specific people were invited they made a very very clear thing that like everybody in this room was invited for a reason because it's his birthday okay so he's obviously a very powerful man who can take advantage of of vod's current misfortune he says he gets a a meeting with edgar and He's potentially going to be able to get a train in the deep back in the seven, um, but also brings up Eagle the Archer and effectively he's been excommunicated. He asked deep at first, oh, what do you guys know of uh, Eagle? And deep is like, yeah, he's actually super helpful. He's like a brother to me. You got me here. Like, mm-hmm. he's a great guy. Uh, Alistair's like, no, he's a piece of shit and he spreads lies and you don't talk to him ever fucking again. And it is just like textbook excommunication from from an organization like that. Deep is immediately like, like oh yeah, he's awful. Yeah. They, yeah. They are like they are literally the Church of Scientology mm-hmm. and she yes. and um Eagle is uh what's her notes from uh King of Queens. <laughs> like she just well she has like she has a bunch of science like destroy Scientology on A&E now and stuff like that. Like she's going to reveal all of the horrible things that Scientology had done to her while she was in. Yeah. So that's kind of who he is. I can't think of her name. Something Raimi. Uh, I can't think of her name. Yeah, I can't either. Um, but yeah, like this was like super interesting. He also does it very business-like. It's not a, it's not kind of a personal thing. Like the way he does it, he seems like a corporate, like, well, you know what? Fuck him because he's not going to do business with us. So we're not going to do business with him. It, there was a personal sting to it, mm-hmm. but the way he does it was very corporate it's like bloodless yeah yeah exactly yeah he's like um, a he's like a toad is this where we get the scene too of Maeve kind of doing her decompression thing and ashley coming in just kind of being a shitbag about it it's right after yeah 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 Maeve is searching for comfort from uh by by sleeping with some guy um ashley being like that's bad for your brand you're supposed to be a lesbian you you buy doesn't exist in my worldview because it doesn't exist in Vought's worldview. Maeve just like, would you shut the fuck up for once? <laughs> just be a fucking human being. And, well, and uh, I think that, that was a great line. That was super smart because she even is like, you're not bisexual. You're gay. Like we need you to right. be gay. Like, why are you sleeping with a man? And she was just like, stop for like, a, just be a human for a fucking minute. Yep. You know, and yeah. like, let me just cope with the fact that I am going through a breakup. My life is fucking miserable right now. And let me bang the fucking brains out of this guy and get the fuck out. Yep. Like, and this is more, I guess, of the little I've seen Maeve in the comics. This is a little bit more closer to her there. She's constantly smoking. Yep. Um, effectively, she vaped. She, she, va- she vaped. was vaped. Oh, yeah. that's right. She had a vape. <laughs> um, regularly working out her issues with, uh, you know, as many dongs or clams as she can possibly get her hands on. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. Yeah. You know, and we have, and even yeah, she, Ashley she has the, the idealism. Moment. It's all desensitizing. Yeah. Right. And Ashley even has the moment of like, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. Like, I'm just so swept up in my job that I'm not, this is, this is a business to me. Like, this is my job. This is not. My job is to make sure that you guys are doing what you're fucking supposed to be doing. I realize that you are human, but you're not human. 
because this is a yeah. job. I take this like like right. it's my real business. But you just need to remember that buy is confusing to right. the audience. Exactly. So like you can't do it. People don't understand how this works. So we get I, another... I would say that Ashley is somehow more like a more hateable than Homelander, but then we get this next scene where, <laughs> where um Right. Yeah. So Stormfront and Homelander uh, kind of continue their power struggle against Rebecca over Ryan. Uh, Homelander and Becca actually have a real conversation. Like outside, Becca like kind of pulls him out while they're arguing over whether Ryan is old enough to watch Homelander's uh, movies. And Homelander actually kind of gives her the, well, listen, I was raised in a situation like this and it sucked. And I flipped shit when I saw what the real world was like. And you are doing the same thing to him. You are going to ruin him and you are lying to them. You need to stop. It was almost believable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I mean, it's it, not an unreasonable position to have, no. except that it's coming from Homelander, the person who fucking put him there in the first place. Right. Right. Um, and I think, Chuck, to your point earlier, this is certainly. This is this is Becca's moment of like realizing she's dead. Yeah. Um, That like the second she is not needed, not to her. When she's real, when Homelander realizes he doesn't need a mother figure like Becca anymore, like he mm-hmm. melted fucking what's her nuts's face. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because I would guarantee because Becca's locked away, nobody can get to her, all that kind of jazz. Um, I guarantee you that Homelander opens up a lot more to her than we even suspect. Yeah. That she knows a lot of what's going on. I didn't see it as well. She certainly thinking. understands that her only level lever of power over Homelander is to like appeal to his ego and to try to understand the personality and like the thought process therein. So she, in kind of a brutal play, she tries to appeal to his humanity. Like, please, you you know how bad it was for you to be taken away from your you know mother. Mm-hmm. Like he he needs this. The, like the idea that. She's begging her rapist and appealing to his humanity is like kind of underscores how willing, how far she's willing to go for this kid. Yeah. Mm. And how desperate she's getting. Um, And it looks like it works. He seems to be considering it. (laughs) Right. Um, Butcher had gotten a call from MM earlier about how things were going with Jonah. Um, So Butcher heads over there to try his approach. Um. During that scene, I'm getting a little bit nervous about them kind of blaming Homelander being a sociopath on on Jonah. Not sure if this is going to lead to something later, but between the scene with Homelander and Becca, followed by this one, uh, the series so far gives us two examples, one right after another, usually um, to kind of infront something really heavy handed to us that that is going to turn out to be true. Yeah, I think it's also like the, the the framing of it is um that Vogelbaum is uh is talking to Butcher about how like he had to toughen Homelander up because he was supposed to be the world's strongest man. Um, even though, you know, as a kid, as a six year old, he would cuddle up to him. He'd be like a regular kid. He'd be almost like Ryan, one would argue. Yeah. Um, and in Butcher, he's sort of facing the the monster he created because Butcher was also created with the ethos of you have to toughen him up. You know, the world's going to eat you alive unless you, you toughen him up. And so you just abuse the shit out of your child. Um, So he's, he's sort of coming face to face with that ideology. Um, So to get, 
Oh, sorry, go ahead. You also get the I also get the feeling like Butcher didn't want Vogelbaum to assent to his, you know, he said, you know, you either testify or I kill your whole family. I got the feeling like Butcher didn't want him to testify. Like he wanted an excuse to go fuck people up because he just had this emotional difficulty with his uh, dad still being alive. Mm-hmm. And as we know from earlier in the season, when he has emotional difficulty, he just goes out and cracks some skulls. Like when after Becca, yeah. he just went to a mosh pit to get the shit beat out of him. Do we think that Butcher would actually kill Bogle's entire family and children and grandchildren? So I didn't believe it. Yeah, I was I thought it was an, a kind of an empty threat because maybe if he did go and kill them, then like it's kind of like killing your witness. Right. Like you're not you're not going to do it because the guy has information. But then when she brought the tea in and his entire demeanor just oh, changes yeah. and he gives them that look of like, I will fucking do it. Like, don't think I won't. I've got no reason not to. Such a good with look. that extra long tea slurp. Yeah, oh, God, his, <laughs> his acting is amazing in this scene. <laughs> that smile at the end, just mm-hmm. yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, like oh. I just realized, like, oh, not only is he gonna do it, he's probably gonna get invited into the house over for dinner, have a nice conversation, and then get up to go to the bathroom and turn around and just break their fucking necks. Yeah. Yep. So we jump over to Huey and Lamplighter uh, getting to 42D, uh, where Lamplighter says Starlight is probably being held. Um, or In the Vought Tower, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they, his handprint or whatever still works. He can get into elevators and, and into, to, he has floor access everywhere, apparently. Um, and it I turns thought that it, once they like showed up and he said that, like, we're either going to be able to get in or we're going to get swarmed by guards. It made me think, like, why does he think he's going to get in? He hasn't been in Vought Tower for so long. He has been like ex- he's sort of been excommunicated as well. Right. I was like, oh, this was his plan. He was going to he was going to deliver Huey on a platter to Homelander, mm-hmm. yep. who already said earlier in the episode that he's been looking. He really wants to get his hands on Huey. This is how he makes amends with with the seven at least that's what i thought at the time that's that's actually where i thought this was going as well um i thought so too and when they leave Not the so stairwell much. when they leave the stairwell uh they're actually on the floor of the the seven conference room um ll or yeah lamplighter looks around the corner and looks for a statue and it's gone uh he mentions that you know i was really hoping to do this in front of my statue that really sucks that it's gone and he was like what do you mean and Lamplighter fucking tortures himself. Okay, so there's like uh. a there's like a few things here. One, what a fucking <laughs> loser piece of shit can't be immune to his own abilities. You know what I like mean? The like acid guy. Like, he is not that. immune to his own abilities. He does not have the ability to create fire. He just has the ability to control it. Okay, but like, dude, like whatever, whatever. Like, yeah, <laughs> I was Superman pissed about shaves. the vom- I was pissed about the vomit guy too. Yeah. Like that dude, like his internal organs are totally fine, but the second it hits his skin, his face is going to melt off. Bullshit. I mean, I'm calling bullshit on that one. Two, <laughs> I find it really interesting that this was that we all thought this, that he was going to hand him yeah. silver platter because we saw this in season one. With the dude who can like uh, the the little nerd kid that could like read minds or whatever he could do. Yeah. Where oh, he was yeah. just like. Yeah, no, like I hear I give you all this information. Can I please be part of the seven again? And Homelander fucking marks him. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was a part of me that was just like, I thought the same thing. I go, oh, well, like 
that was really dumb of him to do this because, uh, you know, yeah, he's just going to get burst just yeah. like season one. Um, but we didn't get that right. So, uh, yeah, it's you, the show being willing to flip the script and, and kind of upend our expect. I think they were trying to set that expectation up just to flip it, which I, I appreciate. I like it. So fire alarms go off. Uh, sprinklers put out um, lamp lighter. But uh, as the alarm goes off, guard leaves guarding Starlight's room. And with right. the emergency lights flashing, there's just enough uh, power in there now for her to uh, get out. And also, just real quick, how dumb of an idea this was of Lamplighter, because all he's essentially doing is trying to create this, I don't know, like moment of protest, I guess, in in in, in clarity, like you're not going to kill me. I'm going to take myself out and I'm going to do it in Fuck this. You, you didn't win. Yeah, like this over the top, like. A show of rebellion or whatever, which is fucking stupid mm-hmm. because the exact way that they are going to spin this is lamp, you know, or that Homelander had a, a super terrorist try to take him out and it didn't work. And the true heroes, the Ansel system people who installed such a great sprinkler system <laughs> into our building made it so nothing you know, the few things in here that got destroyed, got destroyed, uh, property damage. But otherwise, if it wasn't for the, for the sprinkler system, people who are the true heroes here, right. Um, this could have gone a lot worse. You can't quit me. I'll fire me myself. He just wants the drama of the moment and that's it. Like he did succeed. Like this is what he wanted. Yeah. I thought it was just a purely personal thing. Like he wanted to do it in front of his own statue. It wasn't there. So he was like, well, I guess this will do. Which I find weird that he even thought it would still be there. Yeah. That was really stupid of him to think that. Um, So Huey's now alone in the lion's den and smashes. <laughs> he goes to take off initially. And he's like, oh, fuck, I need LL's hand. I love that when he runs back. <laughs> I need his hand. <laughs> so so he smashes like a liquor decanter that's like on a cart to cut off Lamplighter's arm so he can use it to <sighs> get out of the building. Yep. Uh, Fucking good this, on you. Huey. This is resourceful. Which yeah. was like super smart because I actually would never have thought of that. You know what I mean? Like it's also a nice like levity break, right? Like things are getting jumping into high gear. We're between two pretty dramatic sequences and we just see him kind of retching a little bit and like recoiling at like the the very like the very grisly work that Huey is not well suited to. It just it got me. And I don't I don't know if anyone else saw this, um, but I'm a huge as we all know, like Simon Pegg was originally a you know, based or yeah. Huey is based off Simon Pegg. This is a beautiful little callback to Shaun of the Dead, where they have to kill the girl in the garden, and, and they start wreckers sm- and stuff. Yeah, like well, they start smashing her head in once they finally get the cricket bat and the shovel, mm-hmm. and sh- like Simon Pegg's face of like smash, smash, smash. We're just going to keep doing it, and his face of absolute horror. Like Huey does a great job of almost mimicking that same thing of like, okay, I'm just going to start cutting his arm off and he starts cutting it and he realizes it's not working. So he has to start kicking the glass through his arm to break the bone and his face (laughs) is just like absolute horror. Like I saw that, like that little parallel I thought was so beautiful. I don't know if they meant to do that on purpose. It it was really well done. But it was so well put together. If only uh, they had done a quick cut to him and like Frenchie eating Cornetto on the couch after that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If only. So Starlight gets out. She's kind of sneaking around Vaught. Um, She stumbles upon the now no longer on fire, but just a a burnt Pop-Tart lamplighter. 
and surprise <laughs> That's fucking a good way to put it. Noir comes out of nowhere and they get into again a big fucking fight and he's fucking laying into her throwing her against tables bashing her face into stuff throwing her through pillars frustration at this point so if there is nothing i love it's a good fight scene yeah. like i'll watch really bad movies mm-hmm. as long as there's a good fight scene but consistency is important you're going to fucking tell me she survived Pillars going through pillars, getting a literal piece of concrete smashed across her face. Nothing. But she got taken out in the fucking coffee shop by three strikes of that fucking line starts here sign. Like, come on. No, no. I'm calling bullshit on it. That's just inconsistency nonsense that just pisses me off. There was also the gas canister. It's not that inconsistent because she also took a couple gigantic rifle shots to the chest the other day and it did knock her down. It just didn't do much else. Like, That we I think never saw the idea that she could be knocked out but not killed is is fine. Well, but she survives all of this and is just totally like, oh, this is nothing for me now. To be fair, in the coffee scene, uh, she had not had her unicorn frappe yet, so she <laughs> wasn't really up for the day. Uh, um, okay, all right, that's fair. <laughs> so they they get into this fight and Noir gets on top of her and he's choking her out. And her vision starts to go black. And I was terrified here that we were going to get fucking Huey coming around the corner with a gun or something being like, hey, hand off my girlfriend. And he was going to say, <laughs> yeah, that would have been bad. But it was like it was going to be the house all over again. Right. Yes. Right. But thankfully, um, we get a significantly better rescue as it fades to black. It fades back in. And Queen Maeve is behind Black Noir. Uh, opening and shoving a almond joy into his fucking mouth because he's allergic <laughs> to tree nuts. Uh, That's almost a little too cute for me. Like I love that. I loved. That. I just love how the they callback. gave that scene from episodes ago meaning when he yes, had to throw yeah. the almond joy away. It just seemed like, oh, I guess he's tidy. No, because he's allergic to it and didn't want it near him. That makes perfect sense. I love how he pulls out I a kind of like it better pen too. <laughs> he did yeah. Maeve kicks it away. That was just. It was so fucking good. Um, also, eat shit, Dan. It's also, um, the, the moment is actually a, is is actually a reference also to the comics, wherein like Maeve kind of breaks out of her doldrums in order to help Starlight against Black Noir. Like that is a thing that happens, not exactly like frame by frame, but the the context of it, like the relationships involved, are all pretty much the same. Well, especially since the first time Starlight and Maeve meet, it's just after Starlight has been sexually assaulted. And Maeve right. kind of doesn't give two fucks. Mm-hmm. Just like, well, yeah. Well, why should you do it? Then? It's your fault. Yeah. Like, right. yeah. So it also makes me wonder if if it is true from what we know from the comics that Black Noir is a clone of Homelander. Is this why maybe they keep him the way he is because he does have a weakness? Tree allergy nuts. That could be. Oh, he he's got a lysine contingency. <laughs> so not the dressing part. A couple things here. When the mask comes up, um, it looked like there were some burn prosthetics. Right. Kind of like Deadpoolish. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not completely sold on the Homelander clone thing here. Um no. maybe because it's it was such a big part of the comics, perhaps, that they're going a different route with it right. or they're gonna do something different. But um it, the show is enough different from the comics that I have no reason to suspect a clone at this point. Right. Although it would totally make fucking sense because if you think about it, if he has this tree allergy, that means he's not totally a perfect clone, but we he's have, got everything else that he needs. 
except for maybe he isn't totally like he's invulnerable, but he can still take damage, right? Like if Jackie Chan Adventures taught me anything, you need the fast healing and the invulnerable, uh, uh, like token things. Yeah. Uh, cause otherwise uh, you, you will be invulnerable, but you're going to feel pain. Like the right. talisman. Thank you. Yes. Um, so the, the point here is like maybe black noir is the clone, but he's not perfect. He's not a perfect clone. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we don't know that Homelander is not also allergic to tree nuts. True. That's a good point. But also, if, like, there's no reason for him to be a clone. He could just be a different soup whose job it is to take people down that Vought doesn't want to deal with. Like, yeah, I, I don't think that there's any inconsistency with that. But it also makes sense that what Black Noir is in this group is the guy who actually does all the work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Literally like the only one that does yeah. any work. Right. He's the, <laughs> he's the guy that actually goes around and stops the terrorists and Homelander, who is a guy who's totally capable of doing that is just the face of the, of the thing is the <laughs> face of the seven. When he does actually go kill terrorists, he fucks it up anyway. Right, exactly. So like, <laughs> and when he, when he does go and do it, it's a big fucking deal. So yeah, keep him <laughs> off the battlefield and just send Black Noir in there who may be a, a shitty version of, mm -hmm. of Homelander, you know? I think one thing we're really skipping over here is when we, she pulls the mask up, like he looks burned, but he also looks like he's a black man. Yeah. Which totally. Oh, really? really? Yeah. And the actor for Black Noir made that is, ambiguous to right, me. I mean, yeah. I didn't want to draw on who plays him, yeah. but we know that the actor is black, but it looked like... But as huh. we know, he does not define as a race because they got one of those. So... I love that line. Oh... Uh, but yeah, I, it's so a very think, Homelander understanding of the issue. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think he's a clone in this. I think that they're going a totally different way. Just yep. to just to people like Ben that have read the whole comics. I don't know if Charlie has. I have uh, just what um, I've learned from the show that I think they're going to go a different yeah. way. So it's new and different for people. So Ben right. can still be surprised with whatever. Yeah. Or or, or Black Noir might just be dead because <laughs> the Almond Joys killed oh, people. <laughs> well, and this is the important thing. We he was still crawling, still breathing technically yeah. when they cut away yeah he's not i, I, so. I don't think he's i would be shocked i think he is but he could be yeah right um so starlight actually, okay starlight tries to convince mave here to come with her she looks like she thinks about it for a second she before declining did. um and then huey ends up freeing donna um and they meet up with starlight starlight yep um so they, they they seem to get away and Good and they enough. do we cut over to Becca uh, making a super awesome product placement for Maeve, or Brave Maids, Brave Maeves Vegetarian Pride Lasagna. Points out uh, that it's meatless. It's, it is meatless. Um, in addition to the Pride Bars, apparently they also have uh, Brave Maid Pride Instant Mashed Potatoes, Brave Maeve Instant Coffee, because you can't be proud when you're tired, and Brave uh. Maid Pride Ready to Eat chocolate chip cookie dough for, you know for those for those times of the month i i guess is the theory there yeah yeah right so um very Storm subtle lot very subtle yeah. <laughs> stormfront and homelander um have told ryan that becca's been lying to him and Fuck. they've taken him off to to see the world um ryan has a very emotional response to this against becca mm -hmm. and goes willingly with <sighs> Homelander and Starfront. Which is a very adolescent kid thing to do. Totally. Right? Like, yes. you're, you're kind of always mad at your parents, at least a little bit. You might love your parents, but the second you figure out that 
the thing that your parents have been lying to you all the time, your immediate reaction is, I fucking hate you. You're, you're, you're a piece of shit parent to me because you've been trying to protect me all this time. Mm -hmm. And what sucks is it's not even like her. She had no control over that. Like she had to lie Mm -hmm. to him about all this stuff. Like, it's like she couldn't even take him to a real neighborhood. Homelander is the piece of shit here. Oh, totally. Now I hate this thing just because it's like, it, it it sucks. (laughs) There's been a scene (laughs) that that was in the initial trailer for this season of Homelander with blood splattered on his face, um, making a very surprised um, face while looking down towards the camera. Um, Online, people have been talking about this is Homelander when Ryan dies. This is Homelander when this person dies. This is Black Noir killing Homelander. This could be a Mm. lot of things. Do we think or or Stormfront dies or a bunch of stuff at, at some point, bl- Homelander is going to get blood on his face and it won't be intentional. Um, how do we feel for Ryan's survival right now? Oh, he's going. He's, he's, he's gone. He's going down. I no, I think the kid's totally fine. Yeah, I, I, don't, fine. I don't think that I think because. Homelander so badly wants that nuclear family feeling because it's the only thing it's the only thing he hasn't been given by Vaught. He has the opportunity and he has this opportunity. He's clearly madly in love like a like a you know what their relationship uh, Stormfront and and Homelander's relationship is like two uh, people in high school who just had sex for the first time and now they're just madly in love with each other. And, you know, they're sneaking out during homeroom to go get an over the pants, handy blowjobs in uh, the science wing bathroom. Um, you know, like <laughs> AKA uh, blowjob alley, blowjob alley. Exactly. Um, you know, like <laughs> they have this, like just this, like we're so madly in love and they're making stupid, irrational decisions that will, you know, it's like, you know, Holy your friend is, Right. Like, yeah. I think Stormfront and, is treating it like a manipulation situation. Right. But mm. she's playing into it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. and that's true. She's acting the is, part. Right. And this is so new for him. And he is so quick to just be like, yep, let's just fucking do it because I will get it fixed either way. So. Let me let me set up a hypothesis for you, though. Uh, Ryan, in the next episode, comes to his senses. Enough time has passed. He misses his mom. He starts asking Homelander to go see her. Homelander doesn't take it well and just accidentally punches the kid's head off. I think that that is pretty likely, actually. I, I could see that. that or I could going. see the same situation happening and Stormfront being like, ah, well, at least we tried and just fucking dusting them. Mm, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or I could yeah, see something it as like that. the last episode, something will happen with like the boys and Butcher. They have some plan. They're going to kill Homelander, but it accidentally happens to Ryan instead. Oh, and that's what really yeah. puts Homelander over the edge. Yep. I'm just waiting for that moment where he just flips shit and starts blasting everybody like he did in that little daydream he had. So, well, and just real quick, I we kind of brush over it originally, but when Homelander and Stormfront showed up the first time, like when it was during the day, he goes to him and talks to him like, hey, I know last time we kind of like didn't have a great. You know, I yeah. push you off the fucking roof. Like, I'm real sorry, bud. <laughs> and for whatever reason, Ryan kind of just accepts that. Like, yeah. yeah, okay, fine. So it kind of teased this whole idea that, like, I think more often than not, we see it where, like, dads kind of get 
a free pass for being a piece of shit and like moms yeah. who protect them constantly have to constantly make up for it and yeah. are never forgiven. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, so I think this is, this is the, this is the climactic moment of this, right. Mm-hmm. Of this part where, uh, yeah, fuck dude. Like you've been lying to me the whole time, mom. I hate you, mom. I'm going to run away and join the circus mom. And this super freak is going to fucking fly away with me. I wish I didn't have power. So when dad pushed me off the roof, I died. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, it has to be born. Mom. <laughs> um, so back at Mallory's, everyone gives Huey shit for fucking up with lamplighter. Starlight thanks him for, you know, trying to go in there and save him and, or for going in to try to save her and her mom. Uh, MM tells Butcher over the phone that they're fucked because uh, they've lost Lamplighter, but Butcher doesn't seem super concerned about it. Um, I when, think um, this is... when when Starlight tells asks Huey why he did it, and he just gives that little shrug. Yeah, like a little kid that got <laughs> like, to say. like uh, in trouble. Like, yeah. why did you do this? Well, you know, <laughs> trying to save you. Yeah. Um. So Butcher's meeting his mother at a coffee shop and. She tells him why she tricked him. Um, it wasn't for his father. It was for him to have that. Yeah. I don't know. So this goes back moment. to like Butcher's personality of like he's carrying around a lot of violent anger with him. And we can see, kind of see the direct line is it it all comes from this initial font of infinite rage that is his father. And I, I guess like she recognizes that he's got to he's got to get past it. He's got to let go, like kind of like Mallory was saying to M.M. Um, I think that is what they're trying to do here is like you have to accept that you came from a not great situation and just move on as opposed to just harboring that hatred within you forever. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's going on. There's a nice uh, there's a nice little moment where he says, let me know when he's dead. So I'll piss on his coffin. And that happens in the comics. There's an open <laughs> casket and he just. <laughs> waltzes up and uh, and left loose so we see a train in the deep watching the collective on tv turn hard on archer or eagle the archer a train very noticeably takes a mental note of the deeps 180 on eagle here and they change the channel to the vaught hearing the whole world is watching the boys are watching in the clarkson avenue hideout fucking popcorn in hand this is a worldwide event mm-hmm. jonah Vogelbaum is called as the first witness. Homelander looks coming in hard hurt by this. When he hears that name, his eyes perk up and he like looks around like there's no possible way mm-hmm. that daddy would do this to me. And yeah, he looks like a sad child. And when that part is shown, Butcher's like borderline gleeful yeah. um, that he has put this into motion. And as Vogelbaum is being sworn in, Everybody's fucking heads start goddamn exploding. The judge, Vogelbaum, a bunch of people. Bunch of people. The deep is like, oh no, reaches for his head. <laughs> well, and like that's so okay, so there's great. a lot to unpack here. Let's so much. Let's let's dial it. Let's go back a little bit to the uh, the the 180 about Eagle. Mm-hmm. I love A Train's response to this because it's what a lot of people have. When um, like accusations about celebrities come out or anything like that of the deep is just like, well, fuck that guy. You know what I mean? Like he's a yeah. piece of shit. I can't believe he fucking did this to us with this and that and everything else. Yep. And then like. A train is just kind of like, well, you know, actually really no, 
what the, f-? like, yeah, he's coming and speaking out about it. And Deep's just like, no, fuck that guy. And he realizes, like, how flippy floppy Deep actually is. Mm. That the second, like, maybe Deep feels something different, he's going to be like, no, Eagle's right the whole time. Fuck that guy. You know what I mean? Like, and we... Right. They kind of play up that a lot where we see that, I think, in real life a lot where like the second a new story comes out, everybody's got their fucking opinion about it before they get all of the evidence. And uh, I'm guilty of it just as much as anybody else, really. Um, but a trans just kind of like, are you going to do this to me when I'm not maybe necessarily want to join yeah. the church? Because I don't think a train has actually joined it. I, I think they keep showing his reaction to the things happening there kind of as his a. Uh... Uh, no, this is right. I, so I see it going one of two ways and it's most likely going to go, um, of the, if he gets back in in some other way, especially mm-hmm. now that there's an opening because right. one of the people's fucking heads that exploded was shockwaves. Yep. So oh, yeah. if he can get back in, I think he'll get back in and be done or just pay lip service to the collective. I certainly don't see him buying in. Right. I like the deep pass. He, he right. did at least sit down and hear deep's truths though. Yes. Yeah, we know that they had a real truth off or whatever they fucking called it. Um, But the explosion, the the exploding (laughs) heads. Oh, my God. So this was crazy, right? Mm Because like Butcher is just like, uh, I I fucking got you, cunt. You know what I mean? Like, he's just like, I've been all been waiting for this moment all my life. And like he strolls in and he gets ready to say whatever it is he has to say. His head explodes first. Then the judge's head explodes. A vault member, a political person, which I thought was really kind of interesting. Was um, what's her name's assistant? Ashley's assistant. Ashley's Not assistant. Ashley. Connie? The, the, the senator. Oh, Victoria the senator. Newman's assistant. Yeah, yes. right. Then, like her head explodes. So I was trying to figure out whose whose heads were actually exploding. Yes. Because all of a sudden, it just fucking, it's like a goddamn fireworks finale. Like, everybody's head just starts exploding. And it I kind of lost track of who, like, who these people were. Right. But you make a great point. Why does Shockwave's head all of a sudden explode? Right, so... Oh, you think it was on Alistair's orders or something? Oh, shit! I think it is. I think that the people's, that they took... At first, I thought this was the kill switch. The head of the collective. Yeah, yeah, I'm just trying. I just yeah. don't understand why so here's, he would. So here was my theory. because when he first brought up that there was going to be openings when he talks to Edgar. Yep, I thought there was only oh, one opening. That's good. Yeah. So oh, if I it is Alistair, like, he just made a second opening. Right. Seven. He just opened the exact spot that A Train needs mm, because okay. A Train yeah, got replaced sense. by Shockwave. Right. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: I thought originally this was the kill switch. A very like kind of playing off um, essentially what Thunderbolts does in, in Marvel, where it's like, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, um, we have this device built inside of you. We they kind of play this up with um, Star Bright or Starlight Bright Star, whatever the fuck her name is. I, yeah. Uh, um, Danny. That, right. That they have the tracker in her. Yeah. Maybe it's not just a tracker. Maybe this is the kill switch where if you go rogue or whatever, you're done. Right. Right. But it's so, also in all the civilians and the judge and shit. Well, like, that's so that, when. Yeah. I'm, I wondered if every Vought employee has this. Right. Like everyone who but has ever worked for Vought. Well, that's where I got a little. That's when I was just like, oh, shit. Well, now everybody like strategically. People the judge could have been owned by Vought. Well, because it's a congressional hearing, right? Yeah. It's supposed to be. So he's. Some kind of member of Congress, like Trey Gowdy, or, right. or whatever, kind of. Um, so yeah, that it could be an absolutely, it could be a paid 
politician that they have in their pocket. Yep. Victoria Newman's assistant could right. very well also yeah. be a plant by Vought. For sure. Shockwave certainly is working for Vought. Yep. Um, the other people in the audience, we have no idea, but right. I could see it a bunch of different ways. That could that could have been Cindy. That could be chips in people's heads blowing them up. But to on first glance, it certainly makes it seem like it is not. Well, I feel like we had come to that conclusion a couple episodes ago that um, Rainer's head exploded, and then we're, then we met Cindy, and we're like, "Oh, that's totally her. They're using her." But she's free; she's out doing whatever. We saw at the end of that episode, mm-hmm. right? As we have no we idea know, where she is. Like, right. she as far as we know, they don't have her in control anymore. But it could have been her, but I don't think so. I think that's why they showed us that scene of her walking along the road to show like they don't have her; they couldn't use her. I did not expect mm. heads to be exploding. I thought. For sure, something big was going to happen during this hearing, but not this. And this yeah. is not the first time we've seen a Vaught head employee's head explode either, because um, the lady who's ratting, who talks to Butcher originally, is like, I have this information for you. Maybe sees episode one or two of this uh, season. Of this yeah, season. Agent Rayner. Right. Yeah, yeah. We see her head explode. Yeah. So she's this not Vaught. She's CIA. She was. She, oh, yeah, she was CIA. CIA. FBI, oh, so. One of those. Yeah, maybe. I don't. There was a part of me that makes it my assumption was my my theory was when I walked away from this was uh, there was specific people in that room that needed to get taken out. Mm -hmm. They got taken out, but it would the finger would be too easy to point that, hey, only these six or seven people that we needed gone, gone. So let's just make collateral damage to Mm. cover our ass. Yes. Well, I think the first three that we see explode are huge. You have Vogelbaum. Yep. Head explode. Don't fucking narc on Vought. Yep. You had the judge explode. Don't fucking try to try us ever. Yep. We are immune to you. Fuck off. And then Victoria Newman's assistant. Yep. Stop talking shit. We can fucking come for you whenever we want. Yeah. Which is very important because yeah. they could have just easily taken her out. And Shockwave could have just gone to distance themselves a little bit. Right. You know what I mean? Maybe it's just a, see, even a soup died. It couldn't have been bought. He was one of us. Right. Oh, totally. But if the collective is somehow involved in this. I like the collective angle. Yeah, right. I didn't think of that It before. makes a lot more sense that that's opened up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and then It's definitely they, purposeful because, like, Homelander does not look concerned a lick I was going to bring that up. He looked confused. So He's definitely he in the know in some sure. capacity. Right. Like, it's almost like he knew that this was go- something like this was going to happen, but he immediately then gets confused of why is everybody else's fucking head exploding? Yeah. Like, why would why mm. would they need to blow up all of these people? We only needed him and her and her. So I kind of like that as a maybe it was Cindy that, that does that. And we don't know where she is. Right. This could have been her, though, acting on her own, a, right. either trying to carry out what programming they had kind of put in her to begin with. And mm-hmm. she just. Now that she's off the leash a little bit, right. she's going to be doing a lot Maybe more. Maybe she is what the Black Noir is in the comics. Maybe yeah. that's the whole idea. Maybe she is the kill switch for things that need to get taken care of. Mm-hmm. Maybe they pointed her that's... at Vogelbaum, who undoubtedly had a a hand in her creation. Mm. And also then just when when once once Vogelbaum was out, she just couldn't contain it anymore. And just like maybe some of it was kind of random. It, it yeah. really depends on mm-hmm. who is directing Cindy to do this, if it is, in fact, Cindy at all. Um, it, there is definitely a lot we we simply don't know about it. But um, right. I do like then, the idea of the collective being in charge and opening up the spot for a train. That's super cool. I like that. Too. It's super smart. And it also kind of plays it up because. If it was a kill switch, that explains why the deep immediately checked his head. 
Like, I think they did it for a comic <laughs> relief, but he also yeah, is sure. just like, holy shit, wait, if people are also exploiting their part of the seven, is my fucking head, like, okay? Like, am I I'm right? part of the seven. Right. I'm at risk, too. Exactly. Yeah. Or more importantly, I'm not part <laughs> of the seven funny. anymore. Like right. if we're, if, if I'm going, so I think they did, they, I don't think maybe they tried to lean into it as much as I, we're looking into it, but yeah. like it, it was a, it was a comic relief moment, but it made me think like, shit, maybe this is a kill switch. Yeah. Like, you know, and it just further proves, and maybe that's why Homelander was so fucking confused. Right. Because if Vought can just kill switch anybody, maybe Homelander's got to start playing ball again. Yeah. Like this mm. is a this is also a message to Homelander. Like, hey, just remember, oh. I'll make your fucking head explode. Yeah, and and very specifically, I like that you brought up how Homelander responded because it was he was not flipping out, but he was certainly surprised. He right. was just kind of slowly turning in a circle, looking around, like, what the well, hell is happening? Well, this wasn't the plan, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like, almost like a well, I don't remember lasering all of these people. Like, <laughs> like why are their heads exploding? <laughs> but that said. But yeah, um, the boys see all this happening and they're pretty dismayed with, I think, the exception of Butcher, who kind of like separates himself from the pack and just starts doing his deep thoughts stare. Um, Mm -hmm. It honestly kind of looks like he's maybe a little relieved that things are back in the hectic territory where he can go crack some skulls again. Which Maybe he has to be projecting onto him, which right. he has to go do because Vogelbaum did not testify. So Butcher has to go kill his family. <laughs> well, <laughs> he's contractually uh, obligated, honor I mean, bound. Yeah, but I think that I think that's a smart point, right? Like Butcher now sees it says, "Well, you know what? You playing it Try now his way. way didn't fucking work. So let me go get my fifty cal because I'm gonna go soup hunt." Yeah, it's almost like a. Like a told you so moment. It's like, yeah. no, we just got to yeah. kill him. Told Which is you. You can't pretty hilarious him. because right up to this, right up to that point, he's just like, oh, well, fucking God, cunts. Like, which I really love because they're sitting in somebody's house watching this and he uses and he says cunts and they just look at him like, really? Like, you're going to just keep <laughs> saying this word because it's not bad for you, but it's bad for us situation. <laughs> but with the ending of this episode and the ending of a lot of the episodes in this season, I cannot wait. For the season finale seriously next week so i'm pumped. super hyped um so glad it's a conference day yeah. and watch it at work yeah. <laughs> nice <laughs> um that said thank you everyone for joining us for episode seven of season two of the boys i've been your host uh tim jismopper france with me as always my co-host dan cole of a grim podcast of perilous adventure check him out at dancoleauthor.com or check out his book lanny girl without fear which is also done in audio drama format on the Big Fiction Energy podcast. We also had Big Chuck, host and glizzy gladiator of the Elite Eight Showdown show, also here on the network. And you'll actually be able to see him in a bunch of other stuff. He was a essential guest in season four of The Space Between Presents McMillions. Yep. And as always, my friend and hopefully yours, Ben Relaford of the Carton Cast and FancyBat.com. That's me. Thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Why don't you go and check out all the other great shows that the Professional Casual Network has to offer, including Season 1 of The Space Between Presents I Saw a Tiger, which follows the Netflix smash series Tiger King and details the acid-washed antics of Joe Exotic, Carol Baskin, Jeff Lowe, as well as others. 
This season, we're taking a deep, dark dive into the four-part Netflix docuseries Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich. Big Fiction Energy is our audio drama pod in which Tim, Danny, and myself tell the story of Lainey, the Girl Without Fear, a fantasy novel by Dan. A grim podcast of perilous adventure is the Professional Casual Network's Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Actual Play podcast. We're playing through The Enemy Within, which is widely considered one of the best campaigns of any RPG. Join Dan as the GM as Danny, Tim, Alexander P. Nelson, and JB try to survive the perils of the old world. And if you needed more deep dives, also check out The Space Between, which is a discussion and review of the best games, comics, and nerd movies of today and yesteryear. We also have Elite Eight Showdown with high-octane host Big Chuck and his research team. Join him while he financially ruins his partner Tim and completes an eight-team tournament bracket that could be about anything and everything. Lastly, we have Professionally Asked, Casually Answered, a totally real, totally fake advice show where we take questions and topics from you, our listeners, and do our best not to completely ruin your lives. Danny, where could people follow us or ask us questions for Professionally Asked, Casually Answered? I'm so glad you asked that, Tim. You can go ahead and email us questions. Our email address is theprofessionalcasual at gmail.com. You can also follow us and message us on Instagram at theprofessionalcasual. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash professionalcasual. Twitter, we're at top tier casual. Our website is theprofessionalcasual.com. On Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash professionalcasual. And you can also check out Lindsay's Instagram at lindsayfphotography, where you can check out all of her great photos of abandoned places and events. What are some other things that people could find on our Patreon, Danny? They can find Sarah's doodles. They can find different vlogs. They can find lots of polls. I know Big Chuck's got a ton of stuff up there. It's all just a wild time. Extra bonus content, all of those things. 